It's July 24th, 2017. This is the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast, and today I'm talking about Pyre, the latest from Supergiant Games, with writer and designer Greg Kasabin. Going really good. Right? Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. Can you hear me? Great. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. All right. They updated Skype uh, yet again, and yet again yeah. they've managed to make it more confusing, which I find yeah. remarkable. You, it's... It is. It is. It does seem like it's some sort of uh, a quest or crusade. <laughs> on, the, on the mobile app in particular there's like all this functionality you need hidden behind tapping somebody's name like not their profile picture but they're the actual yeah, yeah so anyway, yeah, it's very strange anyway hi thank you very much for uh taking the time to talk to me about skype yeah my pleasure skype is uh an, an interesting subject spanning that will span volumes in uh decades from now the alef where all podcasts meet is i think people bitching about skype i think that's where eventually <laughs> it'll all just converge exactly Cool. So, so you and I actually spoke in podcast form a long time ago, like around the time Bastion uh, came out. Um, much has oh, was it that long. It was yeah for yeah, for a site yeah. that no longer exists, and 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 the site that that became no longer exists. In fact, so yeah, it's it's been a minute. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So so much has changed in that time in the world of games. Uh. But let's let's begin at the most obvious place, and then maybe fan out from there. Um. Sure. So what is Pyre? Uh, you know, for anybody who hasn't really heard about it or has only heard the title or seen the seen the trailer, uh, and how is it different from Bastion and Transistor? Yeah, so uh, Pyre is is the third game from us at Supergiant Games. We made Bastion back in uh, that that game came out in 2011 originally. Uh, then we made a game called Transistor, a science fiction themed uh, action RPG that came out in 2014, and basically for the last three years. We've been working on a new game called Pyre. Uh, we're still the same team. Um, everyone who worked on Bastion uh, worked on Transistor and in turn worked on Pyre uh, in, in kind of similar roles. Um, and for, for this game, we considered a party-based uh, role-playing game in which you lead a band of exiles to freedom through this kind of mystical purgatory. Um, and uh, it is a big kind of genre change for us having made these like games that at least superficially are these uh, kind of hack and slash games. Uh, I think anyone who's played uh, Bastion or Transistor knows that they're kind of more than just that. Um, but uh, uh, Pyre plays out quite a bit differently uh, than those games. I think a lot of it stemming from uh, our team wanting to create a game with an ensemble cast, basically with where you have a, a party of characters and don't just have kind of direct control over a single character the entire time as in our previous games. Um, so yeah, there's a lot more I can... Uh, say about that but uh we we were just very interested in this kind of game structure where you can uh get close to these different characters uh and learn about their different stories and then have have some uh, influence over uh, what happens to them over the course of this game that's maybe a, a really because the thing that jumped out to me most in terms of this being different was that idea of an ensemble cast uh, yeah. bastion and transistor are both games 
where you, I mean, they, they use loneliness in a very interesting way, but also they're very much about you forming a relationship with a character. Uh, yeah. Rux in the case of Bastion, and to even say who would be a slight spoiler in the case of Transistor. Uh, right. So so this is more about forming relationships with, with several people in sort of the grand RPG tradition, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, like, we, we've so we've so enjoyed the... Um the kind of world building aspect of, of making games like we um bastion was was well received for for the for the setting and the characters and the uh, among other uh, among other aspects um and that was something it, it was really fun for us you know as a small team we were seven people at the time of just making stuff up right uh, we we just made all this stuff up and thankfully people people enjoyed it so we felt that we had the capacity to to make a unique uh, setting again and that was one of our um one of one of the main things we wanted to do with Transistor, we wanted to see can we make you know another original setting and cast of characters that that uh, players can once again you know hopefully feel feel a strong connection to, um, and we uh, we just really enjoy that. So you know Pyre once again we we wanted to create a new setting and this we're kind of like almost you know intoxicated by this kind of character creation uh, type of process. So um, our our previous games they've had such kind of small casts of characters um i think you meet more characters kind of in the first 15 minutes of pyre than you do like in the entirety of bastion <laughs> basically so um we it, it, uh, you know for myself uh, doing the 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 writing in the game and stuff like that like i've never even had a chance to essentially like have like dialogue between characters before since it's so uh like you said uh, kind of between the player and it's it's kind of monologuing to the player, the player like over uh, overhearing a conversation. In the case of Transistor, um, so so here having these scenes uh, between different characters and different combinations was was just something that was exciting to us, and being able to cover like a broader uh, tonal range uh, with our characters and kind of say more about the world and the story uh, through through the variety there uh, was something that was really appealing to us. Absolutely. There's there's a, a bit of gallows humor I love about, you know, Bastion taking place in sort of a, a post a sparsely populated yeah. post-apocalypse and then Transistor taking place in a, a, a similarly post-apocalyptic setting insofar as it's an, an abandoned city. The idea that a purgatory is much more densely populated is, I think, kind of sardonically funny. Uh, yeah, it also makes I, perfect sense. I am big on the on the gallows humor, uh, as a matter of fact. But yeah, it's it, you know, it's not. Uh, I don't think it will come across necessarily as as uh, densely populated, but it is like a uh, it is a purgatory setting in the sense that it's where exiles are cast down. So certainly, um, it, you know, as you'll learn from the story, when when uh, people are being sent here from a society that you know that that's essentially their. Uh, their system of punishment, um, there will be more than just a couple of people there as a result of a system like that. Um, so, so yeah, you'll get to meet all different uh, characters and kind of learn about why they're there, what's at stake for them, if they could get out, uh, that sort of thing. For, for me, uh, yeah, again, like kind of from a writing and story standpoint, it just created, uh, it was, it felt very rich with possibility. It, it, like, it made it, easy to come up with characters with with very kind of clear motivations uh at least from my perspective um because you know and and also characters that can be empathetic uh which is very important of you know i think everyone can sort of relate to being in a situation that they want to get out of uh and and uh you know even even having in you know whether 
and how and how one would approach um, a situation like that, whether whether calmly or or more desperately or anywhere in between. Yeah, I mean, it, it combines that that what that that Simone de Beauvoir thing about like you know taking up arms against the powers against which it it seems like rebellion has no meaning, right? You said in an interview a while ago, I think that it's about escaping a situation that that is that you're told and that seem that you're told is and that seems to be inescapable, right? That's yeah. really fascinating. So it seems like it sort of combines that with like the inherent character development opportunities of of a prison drama, where it's at some point yeah. you get to say to everybody, "So what are you in for?" And you yeah, know. that that is uh, that is um, astute of you. We we definitely um, that that is very uh, deliberate um, on 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 our part. Uh, I think the prison drama aspect, yeah, was was always uh, very compelling to me, uh, particularly that "What are you in for?" type of question, which uh, which is you know is is rich with implication right because it's a question that that uh you can't necessarily ask too casually uh in that type of environment so so um yeah all of that stuff i found very uh kind of i found very compelling sort of going into it and and so that's how we start we start our projects by finding the kind of collection of ideas that um the people on the team are excited to explore and yeah these are kind of some of the reasons why uh, we were excited about this kind of from a um from a setting and and fiction standpoint and also from a gameplay standpoint right uh, because we we um we start with uh gameplay prototyping as a matter of fact not not with kind of the narrative um it all kind of gets developed in parallel but uh having a multi-character game of course was very interesting to us uh, from a gameplay standpoint as well um, as representing a new challenge uh, for us because yeah having made these like single character games it's the same thing you know just wanting to create a wider variety of modes of play and different types of interactions that that just aren't possible when you have a game uh, where you're only kind of playing as a single character the whole time yeah i mean so, so something else i heard you say is that uh some of the the rpg combat rules are justified as as being in-world restrictions that are local yeah. through this purgatory. So, like, it's it's, yeah. a, it's a rule that only one exile can move on a given... I Probably not... Probably turn yep. is not the in-world term for it, right? But that, that stuff is justified in the, the, the in-world. Yeah, that's... Uh, or, there, there, yeah, there's no concept of, of turns. It's a, it's a fully real-time game. But, yeah, you... You, um, you know, central to Pyre is this ritual competition uh, through which the worthy can regain their freedom. Um, and this... Competition has a bunch of these kind of uh, strict rules that have to be followed because, uh, you know, what are you going to do if you don't follow the rules and you're not getting out? So it, for us, it's a it's a very it's very convenient um, from a from a design standpoint, because it it means kind of from a uh, from a meta standpoint, it means that we can just create a game. Um, we could create whatever game we want and then have the rules feel like they ma- uh, uh, are, are justified within within the world um, of the game. So we could just, that was again, like kind of part of the appeal to me fictionally of having this type of setting. It meant that from a design standpoint, we could just do whatever we wanted. We didn't have to follow any, uh, we didn't have to obey the laws of physics or, or just kind of adhere to anything that existed in the real world. We could just uh, fabricate something um, and, uh, and then have it feel like it belongs uh, as part of this uh, ancient competition through all the, all the kind of, um, world building around it um and and it let us you know have have something like we wanted a mode of play that that was uh, very exciting and felt like the stakes were, were very high uh but but also part of that to be that it's kind of non-lethal uh, by its nature 
Um, the 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 lack of kind of, I think typically in video games when they want intensity, the way to go about that is like through lethality, right? It's like well, there's powerful one hit kills um, is is the way to is the way to create intensity or something like that. But the the problem with uh, there be, there's a bunch of problems with there being like sort of death uh, on the on the line and hanging in the balance in a game like this. Um, and it's that we wanted this story where the characters can recover uh, from their mistakes um, and have that be part, n- not just part of the story, but part of the gameplay. Um, and if they're just dying, they, if there's no recovering from that. So they, they have to be able to survive these encounters. Um, and for us, that was just, it, it, it created these interesting narrative opportunities because, you know, again, in like a vid- in typical game, when you die, well, you just load your checkpoint and you try again until you don't die but in this game we wondered what would it be like if you just if you if you fail um and and it's over you lost your chance and you have to move on from that uh we wanted to we wanted to achieve that uh in this game and have have these moments where the characters have to have to deal with their failure and move on from it that's I find that totally fascinating because I mean so so there are yeah and I can't wait to play it but full disclosure by the way to anybody listening we we elected to do this interview uh you know earlier in the process so I have not played the game yet so I'm hearing all this stuff for the first time I'm as excited as you are listener uh so that idea of like living with your mistakes and, and failing yeah. and moving on I think is something that games can uniquely do but sometimes sort of refuse to do uh yeah. you know I mean I Fire Emblem famously has permadeath where you know a character mm-hmm. a character dies they're dead but you know that's never the way I've played if if a character dies i'm gonna go back and do the battle again so that they don't die that's you know it's i've occasionally committed to playing it the way it clearly wants to be played but it's not the system is pushing against me to a certain degree because it's going to be that much harder to get through the game and i could end up more or less screwed many many hours in games on the other hand that allow you to sort of screw up and continue i think are inherently interesting um there there, a shadow of mordor right gets a lot of attention for the nemesis system but part of what i really like about it uh, you could say the same thing about monaco uh by the way is that you can plan out your attack your heist in the case of monaco really carefully but almost inevitably something is going to go horribly wrong and trying to get yourself out of that emergently difficult situation is is just as much fun as you know as the perfectly planned heist so when games don't say hey you're leaving the mission area or hey you died so this is an invalid timeline reload your last save when it actually allows you to sort of move on from failure I, I think that's absolutely you know it's, it's a it's a wildly underexplored space yeah it's uh we we certainly agree um other, otherwise we wouldn't have kind of set out to set out to do it or um maybe we would we would have known you know how how fraught with difficulty that kind of space is uh, we I, I think we had an impression of how that it was going to be that it would be uh difficult um because it means just having to support a lot more uh, outcomes than than just only accepting kind of victory as <laughs> as the only way forward. Uh, but one of the one of the other reasons uh, it was, I mean, it was important to us for a wide variety of reasons. It's very um, in theme with the game. You'll find um, it, it's just it even without giving anything away. I mean, the game is kind of you you. It's presented almost immediately that this is this is a test of of uh, these characters worth it's about them uh, gaining enlightenment along the way and it would it would feel very um uh what's the word it would feel very dishonest disingenuous i guess if it's a game about like these characters having to gain enlightenment 
but the only way for them to gain enlightenment would be to like win every single time <laughs> you know because yeah. in real in real life it's like we learn constantly through uh through failure right or through through just kind of discovery through living we don't you have to like learn things the hard way often in order to succeed we don't all just blindly stumble into success every every step of the way but in video games there's this hidden thing that happens when you like save load you know a boss battle 20 times that's not part of the narrative um but but the experience of a video game is is just like you just constantly winning and never um you know never ever losing if you if you cut out all the parts where you where you die so we wanted this more uh we wanted a story that that could capture those moments where where these characters don't succeed um and and it also meant that the story could just always move forward and you could never like by definition never get into a situation where you're bashing your head against some really tough you know we could make the game as challenging as we wanted uh but you're never going to get like stuck and uh, in a way that you can't like make you know you know you're dying to know what happens next in the story but you can't make progress you can't get through that fight um and those can be really frustrating moments in games and we we've always been interested in uh ways to improve the pacing of our games and sometimes uh, the challenge of a game can actually get in the way of, of the pacing. Um, so uh, it's, it's just kind of a further exploration on our part into, into what we can do there. Yeah, it's boy. There's there's a lot to unpack there. So so for one thing, I think you're you're precisely right that that when games privilege you know the only valid playthrough, or the only valid story path being unmitigated success, that's sort of precisely the opposite of in- interesting drama. Uh, when you watch right. somebody do a perfect playthrough of something, it's it's fun to watch, but more like a sport being played well than like a, a well told tale. You know? Yeah, they'll they'll put the drama like in the cutscene, right? You'll like right. kill the boss, and then it's like, oh, you know, just kidding. The the girl is captured anyway, or whatever. Or that's the how boss you get gets away, The boss gets away. Yeah, right. exactly. Was, that's how you get tropes like plot blocking and cutscene power because you you right. need to keep the story going, even though you, the player, are perfect and have yep. nothing to learn whatsoever, right? So the idea, if you're really gonna lean into the idea of making a game about second chances and about getting out of your situation and about failure and living with it and moving on from it, to actually permit failure seems like a very necessary thing. I think that makes all the sense in the world. To a certain degree, Bastion and Transistor are also about sort of moving on from failure, though not necessarily your failures exclusively. Uh, I think it's fair to say at this point that that Supergiant games seem to have sort of emergent themes. That is games by Supergiant, not Supergiant Games, the company, right? You you seem as a group to be interested, like I said, in in post-apocalypses. You seem to be interested in the idea of the world as you know it coming to an end and then figuring out what you can build afterward. Uh, The idea of choosing a more challenging path, I think that's sort of baked into the mechanics with the shrine, the shrine system Mm -hmm. in Bastion and, 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 you know, it's, it's baked into all sorts of uh, bits of the cake in Transistor. Uh, Is it fair to say that those are sort of the things that interest you and and part of the project in these, in these three games and, and potentially beyond is to, to find different places for those themes, different ways to express them, to see where they lead you? Um, that, um, it's, that is, I, I broadly agree with that. I, I, I most take issue with the, like the, um, the apocalyptic thing is like, actually I would, I don't, I don't agree that that is a, uh, specific preoccupation of ours. Um, that happens to be the backdrop of, of Bastion in particular, uh, Bastion is squarely like a post-apocalyptic game. Um, 
Transistor is like a apocalypse in progress game. <laughs> sure. uh, it's it's not really uh, post apocalyptic. Um, a- anyway, I don't want to like get down in the weeds on that, but th- those those kind of backdrops are definitely more uh, in service of what we're going for, and not the kind of the foremost. Like I I actually really I find uh, post apocalyptic stories rather um, tiresome in many cases. Well, that's not. I mean. It's not always the case. It's definitely not like I think. I think, um, despite the some of the bleakness in our games, I think they uh, are not. They're not cynical games. They're not about like that humanity is doomed to collapse or anything like that. Which which tends to be kind of a an undercurrent of a lot of post-apocalyptic stories. And they're not. And I, it, I was just gonna say yeah, they're not, the they're not of, fatalist and they're not disaster porn, which is what a lot of post-apocalypses sort of you know devolve into. Yeah, exactly. They're more. They're more. We're just kind of more interested in the personal stories of the characters um, in in the worlds of our games, um, and and in kind of the the different points of view that can be expressed through through the settings that we create. Um, and in the case of Pyre, it's not like um, it's kind of opposite in the sense that this we wanted to create a world that feels very old um and feels like it's going to be around long after you're gone so it's like very much kind of the opposite of uh you know the kind of like dawning of the new world and bastion or this kind of like apocalyptic feel and in uh, transistor this is a world that's kind of like here to stay and what you could do in it the the way that you can influence it you know that's up to you but it's not about the world uh, around you kind of falling to pieces, uh, I think, as you'll discover. And again, I, I think I'm not really give, giving anything away by saying that. No, um, fair enough. Fair enough. I guess yeah. so. So it's a very good point. So, so post-apocalypses are, uh, man, when they work, they're absolutely wonderful and, and resonant and all of that. And when they're tiresome, boy, are they tiresome. No, no argument there. Maybe you're right that what I'm what I'm seeing is is something a bit more specific. Uh, or more, maybe more general, or maybe somehow both, than that, right? It isn't so much that the games are preoccupied with post-apocalypse, so much as the world really is a character in your games, in in not just sort of a, a blurb on the back of the box way, right? Usually when people say the, the world is a character, they mean it's very detailed, they mean you don't have all the information right away. But in both Bastion and Transistor, the world itself really does change or unravel. You actually see sort of the the scars of the things that have happened before. Yeah. Like the, in, in the same way that, you know, in, in relatively few games, uh, does the protagonist seem to actually sort of grow or change or be damaged? Uh, Near Automata would be a, a recent game where that does in fact happen, right? Like you actually see the story taking a toll on the people the the story really takes a toll on the world uh both in good ways and in bad ways in your games so maybe that's the thing that's that sort of you know uh, uh warmed its way into my brain yeah. that i'm reacting to no and that's and i mean that is arguably just necessary uh to to storytelling right like uh, the the whole um the entire kind of function the, the a, a story has to be about something changing that uh, that's just kind of like what a story is in its essence um is uh, and and so i think the way that yeah the the worlds of our games um affect the characters or and vice versa the way the characters you know end up end up affecting the world um it's just it's just what can give the 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 narrative aspect any kind of it can help contribute to whatever weight uh, the narrative is going to have like you want you want to leave the world uh you know hopefully a better place 
but if nothing else, feel like your what you did in that world during your time there um, had had some effect on it, and that that's like a I think that's all that that that's what can make a story resonate with people, right? Because that's all any of us uh, really want in our own kind of search for meaning in life, right? It, it, like just just to feel like we we made a difference. Um, so the I I do think um, that is. Uh, like a broad through line uh, in our games, but they have this thing. I think it's like not not too much of a secret of mine, but uh, of ours. And when it comes to the story, but we, they're never these like save the world stories. Like saving the world is is something that I don't think a lot of us can relate to. Um, we, what matters to us foremost. So that's not that's not true, right? Like there there are many people deeply concerned about the state of the world, and I uh, and I I wish uh, I had that DNA in me. Uh, but my my own my own concerns uh, are often more immediate. You know, my family, uh, my friends, my my surroundings. If I could just make those things okay, then maybe I could turn my attention to the rest of the world. But I can I I'm not going to save the world if I can't save myself first, you know, I think that's, <laughs> yeah. I think that's kind of human nature, uh, that, that, you know, people may disagree with that or whatever, but anyway, in, in our, in the case of our stories, I think we try to make them more personal in nature without it being super selfish either, as, as maybe I implied through my, through my description there. But I think uh, people struggle with that, right? How, how do they, um, how do they kind of affect the world around them, um, while not being, you know, terribly, selfish as 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 people either and how do you how do you manage uh, to right. to do good to do good for yourself while doing good for for the rest of the world around you and so on yeah so i think our yeah i think our games do uh do deal with those uh, types of subjects each in their own way let's go back to, to saving the world or not for a moment because there is that sort of joseph campbell sense in which you know stories where someone saves the world are metaphors for doing something other than saving the world for for right. saving yourself for making your family's life happy for for little everyday heroics of course, saving the world is a bad metaphor, ironically, for saving the world, right? People who really do want to make a difference. Like, yeah. I don't know that those stories about killing God in a JRPG or whatever necessarily uh, relate to them that well uh, or, or relate to what it is that they want to do that well. Ironically, like smaller scale stories uh, can can be better at that, you know, sort yeah. of reversing the metaphor, you know, saving yourself being yeah, a metaphor exactly. for saving the world or making the world a better place. I don't know if you've had time to play many games lately and I've been I've been name dropping a few because 2017 has been a good year for games but yes. Persona 5 actually sort of uh, explicitly unpacked that because there's this this without giving anything too specific away there's this this sequence where you know stripped of all the the magical powers and stuff people are just like doing the stuff you have to do to actually change the world they're like canvassing and like writing to their congressmen and like yeah that's it, cool yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it, it makes perfect sense and is less cheesy than I'm making it sound in the context no, uh, of the that. game but you know that, that sounds I, awesome <laughs> it's it's honestly kind of great and it's the most persona thing ever but it's 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 a I, I think most of the interesting ways to tell stories about changing the world uh, for better or worse live somewhere in between right if you don't make it personal then there's nothing to hang on to it just becomes this yeah. kind of like like you said in the same way that it's not narratively interesting to be you know immensely powerful and and perfect and flawless yeah. and to never fail it's it's to have the entire world literally hang in the balance is it's it's almost like that cognitive thing where you can't actually you can't really imagine a community of more than a hundred people. Like you can't hold them yeah. all in your mind at once. Yeah. You've got to make it smaller scale and then sort of use that as a metaphor to understand bigger trends, larger groups and so on. Yeah. And save, save the world is just 
like at its most cliche level it's it's just this kind of like a placeholder for like this is important you know it's <laughs> right, not right. it's not proving like the but the story has has the burden to to make the the I was going to say the player, you know, we're talking about games, but the the player has to has to feel that it's important, not not simply be told, um, you know, what it's like the fate of the world. You you have to, or if if uh, if it is a story about saving the world, well then uh, the then the story and the game has a big burden to get the player to actually care about the world. It can't just be like a you know whatever just peaceful, yeah, the cliche of the peaceful JRPG world, you know, beset by by evil monsters it's like yeah well you know you don't care that you're not playing that game to save the world you're playing that game to get to like level 99 and be able to like one shot kill guys or whatever you're not like driven by the that kind of narrative uh, focus so yeah in our games uh, i think we just sort of recognize that the player probably it's going to be a while before the player cares about the world because we're like shoving you into a world that you don't know um but um you're more likely to care to grow to care for the characters uh, because those characters are the ones who are like with you, um, and and you know, in the case of Pyre, you're like controlling them in some of these situations and stuff. So um, it, it's much more likely that the player develops a, a relationship with with those characters and is concerned about what happens to them just by virtue of playing through the game. So that's an easier thing to like lat- latch onto, and whatever's going on with the world is like just there as a as a backdrop. Yeah, I mean, in, in Transistor in particular, as you learn about places, what you're learning is specifically why it was important to the main character or the two main characters. Yeah. That's that's your your the lens through which you see the world and through which you experience like the tragedy of it. it like you said, the apocalypse in progress, right? right. Uh, and, that, and I think that device worked extremely well. Uh, so I'm really interested to see what a story looks like uh, from you guys when when it's a place that you're. It, like like you said, right? It's going to be around long after you are, and your goal is to get out of it rather than yeah. see if it's savable. You know? Yeah, that's right. It, it's it's uh, right. The characters have somewhere where they would rather be instead. At least at least some of them, right? So uh, the and the, back to your kind of uh, what you picked up on um, about like a prison drama. What's interesting um, in those types of stories is it, when you think of the different kind of characters in a story like that. You have the character who, you know, desperately wants to be free because, you know, he may have family or a loved one or something like that. Uh, you, you also have the character who's kind of been in there for a really long time and maybe is actually a little bit anxious uh, about the possibility of, of finally getting out because th- now this world is the only world that this character knows and this character may not really have anything to go back to Um and it may have to sort of reintegrate into society, a society that he no longer remembers or recognizes. And all those kind of that range of experience was, again, just like really interesting to think about when it came to like, you know, we were not we didn't create a prison drama. It's like a fantasy game with, you know, with talking dogs and stuff like that. So it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous to be uh, talking about. But but these are the things I think about for sure. Um, and and it's great to sort of graft. Uh, some of those ideas onto uh, what is superficially just kind of like a um, we haven't done like a Bastion is a fantasy game, but it's not like a high fantasy game with like, you know, like I said, you, like talking like you're either like a human or like a weird kind of uh, beast of some sort in Bastion. But where this is much more sort of from the 
from the spun off from like the Tolkien-esque uh, tradition of like different races and that sort of thing. It's it's still twisted through our own uh, version of those things, as you'll find. Uh, but but um, yeah, we were interested in like the high fantasy setting and how we could apply some of these sensibilities uh, to that and create a cast of characters that um, can have such a wide range of, of tonality where it could all still make sense. It kind of, it still all fit under one roof. In the uh, sense of, of, yeah, yeah, so you've got, you've got some of those high fantasy tropes like sentient humanoid non-humans and things like that. And, and it sounds yeah. like you maybe embrace the more sort of mystical or, or mysticist, I guess, kind of, kind of stuff, whereas Bastion is more ancient technology and Transistor is more technology. Here, the fantastical things that are happening are more explicitly fantastical. Is that sort of the idea? Uh, that, yeah, that's fair. It, it, mystical is definitely, it's kind of, you know, we, we, we threw around, like, we lean more uh, mystical than occult, but we talked mm-hmm. a lot during development about the distinction uh, between those two. Uh, yeah, so there's not, there's no, like, blood-soaked, you know, stone uh, sacrificial altars in this game or anything like that, uh, but there, there's very much this, uh, the, uh, yeah, sense of mysticism of old, uh, you know, you know, of, old gods in the sky uh, watching watching down on on what's going on uh, that that sort of that sort of feel uh, to things and and just being able to have uh, yeah this world that feels like it's been around uh, for a very long time in a sense of like how how beliefs have changed in that world over time and and that sort of thing all all felt um interesting to explore and give us a uh, perspective on the different characters cuz yeah back you know back to the thing of like having these different races, you could have uh, a character who's more human and, you know, characters in his 20s or something like that. You could have a character who's 400 plus years old, been around for a while, uh, talks differently because <laughs> the way people talk changes over time. Um, things, things of that nature were all pretty fun ways to explore uh, different characterizations in, in Empire. I love too the idea of historical continuity, the idea of there being a world yeah. that's that's worked basically the way it works for quite a while. That's that's sort of the setting that lets you feel that connection to the the the, 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 the let's call it the mystical, not the occult, but the supernatural, right? Because yeah. when a society has been stable for that long, that's when it sort of has a, a stable belief system that incorporates you know, feeling like they know about the things that really nobody knows about. I think when you have more historical disruption, we're sort of forced to come to terms with uncertainty about the cosmos and things like that. But part of what's exciting about fantasy is you can picture a society that has existed for, you know, hundreds or thousands of years and that has this kind of stable belief system that almost seems to be evinced in actual magic and commune with the supernatural. That stuff's great. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and hopefully you'll find it's it's kind of a uh, fun balance of those two, uh, which we've always we uh you know you you refer to certain tropes. We I love um I love playing with tropes. I think I think tropes and genre are very important uh, because they're they're points of access uh, into stories and they're ways for a writer to subvert expectations uh, and kind of play with the audience. And and this is a game. It should be about play. Um, and, and I think that that kind of interaction where you set people up to expect uh, certain things and then you kind of do, do these little twists to subvert those expectations. I, I love that. Um, I love that in, in other people's stories. It's, it's what I, uh, try to do in my own stories. So yeah, like back to Bastion as an example, we deliberately set that game up as like a save the world, almost like a cliche JRPG setup of like now you must save the world collect the crystals save the world but like that's not what that game turns into at all um and 
um, we we found that to be uh, enjoyable to work on and satisfying, and and uh, I think we've tried to do that um, with with each of our games, and 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 this one is no exception. It, more somewhat more more nakedly, even I would say, you know, these characters are trying to be free, but you know, free from what? Like, what are they? What are they coming back to? What are they? What are they trying to do really? Um, and it's kind of back to some of the stuff I was talking about. You know, what what sort of a society would would cast you into exile in the first place? And like, what's what's going to happen when you go back there? Um, so th- those those kind of questions are not like meant to be veiled. They're 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 pretty early on in the surface of the story, and yet we somehow I I think we pull that off in the context of a game that's you know rated E10 plus. Uh, it's <laughs> it's not it's not a uh, like I I'm I'm really interested in, in exploring themes that that I think can connect with anyone kind of regardless of their age and, and so on and just do it in a way that is uh is uh, I guess for lack of a better word like entertaining it's it, it's not we're, we're not trying to be like super heavy-handed with this stuff but I think it's important for it to be a, kind of about something in order to be interesting yeah, I don't think entertaining needs to be a dirty word. I think, no, you know, I, yeah. perhaps perhaps we're over the word fun because in in any medium but games it's damning with faint praise, but entertainment is certainly a like like if there's if there is a really useful place to draw a line between entertainment and art, then I have never found that place. You know, so No, yeah. I I I agree with that for sure. Like I to me it's not a yeah, I I it's almost like not a meaningful distinction because yeah, at a certain point or I don't know. I, I I'm not I'm not like fluent in uh, Japanese uh, by any uh, when I back when I studied Japanese I found it really fascinating that the word for fun and interesting is the same, uh, which mm. is like a concept I I relate to a lot. It's like fun, interesting, same thing. Like there isn't a, it's whereas in English we have these like tiresome debates um, about what what uh, you know what fun really means and whether entertainment uh, is is at odds with with art and stuff like that. And it's like we make you know at supergiant like we make and sell video games uh and if our video games if people don't buy our video games we go out of business and we won't be able to make video games and our motive is to be able to make video games so we it's in our best interest to make games that that are interesting and fun <laughs> you know what i mean so it's yeah. to me it's like not complicated uh, and and i've i've never had trouble reconciling those concepts because yeah the things i find um it's just kind of the more the more provocative and interesting something is you know the better it is um and we and and even provocative is like a you you know what i mean when i say that Um, no i know what you're trying to provoke i don't i don't don't, (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, i don't mean it in the in the in the uh 11 p.m uh, fx network uh (laughs) definition of provocative if supergiant wanted to make a skin of max you know like a like an yeah, FMV exactly. game, that's <laughs> exactly. fine i'd play it but i mean so <laughs> so it, i think it's cool. not just language that makes us tie ourselves into those knots though. i mean like since the renaissance basically we've been uh very caught up in this perceived conflict between brooding lone geniuses who make brilliant art and the filthy you know marketplace yeah. of, of of debased commerce where they have to then sell it for shekels yeah, and yeah, yeah. You know, there's really no, been no point in history, quote unquote, Western or otherwise, where that conflict, you know, where it where it didn't exist and therefore where it did. Right. Like it there's never yeah. been a time when art was separate from commerce in the way that I think yeah, people that, idealize. 
No, that's right. Uh, I mean, yeah, these days, like, you don't get a commission, like, from the king or whatever. You don't get to be, like, a court, like, a court musician or something like that. Um, you have to find a way, uh, if it's what you love to do, you have to find, uh, like, your own quest is to, like, become self-sufficient so that, because if it's the thing you want to be spending all your time on, you have to be able to justify doing that. Like, it, like if if it can't make you money and you have to, you have to like uh, wait tables, which I don't, I I don't bring that up like in a demeaning way. I it's like an no, honest. Just just as in most of the people waiting tables yeah. aren't doing it because they're passionate to wait tables. They're doing it. No, or or they might be or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's like if if all you want to be doing is is writing, then then boy, wouldn't it be great if that's if you could make money off of that so that you could do more of it. Um, th- uh, I I I think that it's important uh, for artists to find, I mean, we're getting off topic here, but yeah, as much as possible. <laughs> I mean, are we? <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, maybe, saying? maybe not, but yeah, exactly. It's, it's just, we, I, I, I guess to back up it, I, I feel very fortunate that, you know, yeah, we're, we're a small team and we can, we can pursue these things uh, as, as a, as a means of entertainment or what under the guise of entertainment products, whatever that, that are sold on steam and PlayStation four and so on. But to us, uh, for sure, they're, they're explorations into things we care about both because we care about them and we find them fascinating. And also because we think it just results in a better experience, whether you engage with those aspects or not, um, you can play bastion and think it's a game about saving the world and still enjoy it just fine. And I think that's great. Like you don't have to, you know, write like critical essays about our games, like to enjoy them or whatever. Um, they 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 should be enjoyable at any level. Of, uh, you know, played as pure action games and so on. But for our sake, as as a development studio, there are these things that we care about uh, narratively uh, and thematically that that we do uh, put into our games because we think they matter and they're they're a way of tying the experience together. Where even if you don't pick up on these things overtly, um, you you still feel them. You still hopefully come away feeling like wow that game felt like that that was interesting how the different ideas in that game all felt related that's like something that that i think a player of of any age um can can sort of pick up on um because because the best games feel cohesive right so or not always sometimes games can be amazing when they're just like a crazy mishmash of uh seemingly unrelated things but but often uh great games are ones that that where it feels like every component of that game is like it belongs there. Um, and that's, that's something that we really uh, aspire to um, with the games that we make. It's, it's something that's like really hard uh, to, to achieve uh, during development, but, but we we're we're conscious of it. We, we, we try for it. And I think trying for it is, is, um, is necessary to getting there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the process you're describing probably really helps the idea of, of starting with the idea of, okay, we wanted, we want to tell a story where a bunch of characters relate to each other. Where, what can we do with that? Right. It reminds me a little bit of stuff I've read about Nintendo's process, actually, where they say we want to make a game about squirting ink. Uh, okay. Well then what can we do with that mechanic? Okay. Well, squirting ink is kind of like graffiti. So we'll have radical nineties squid kids and everything just kind of emerges from what are the natural results of, of trying to yeah. make this idea come into, come into reality. That stuff's yeah. really yeah, yeah yeah and and, and I gotta yeah, say like a, I, I was sorry, just like a, sorry an, an example from Bastion is like the um, 
the the way the world forms up around you as you move around uh, that space that was like a gameplay prototype that that was not like a that ended up being you know very uh, thematic uh, to the game but but some of that is like us kind of back solving the the narrative and the <laughs> thematics onto some of the gameplay prototyping not the other way around um so yeah it is interesting how it's like a symbiotic process like that and yeah you kind of listen to the game and you 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 chase after the aspects of it that that seem to be sort of asserting themselves uh the the most strongly and try to try to kind of build around um those ideas as much as possible and fully explore them and i mean that's Sorry, you were saying no yeah. no, no. I, I mean i was actually going to bring up precisely that thing the world coming together thing in bastion i'm i'm at a little bit of an advantage because i re-listened to the interview we did uh years ago and you i'm sure oh. do not remember it but yeah that was one of the specific things we talked about that that had just as you said come out of you know prototyping and, and all of that and it was not necessarily a, a planned thing but that once you saw that element along with the narration along with the idea of putting the world back together being sort of inherent in the game it all sort of made sense and i, th- I think that's where the role of 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 you at supergiant as you know if we want to use a flowery word artists or if we want to use a totally dry word content creators or, or anything in between choose your adventure right your, that's your role, right, is to make all of that stuff gel in an interesting way. Um, you know, for for all the talks we had, and we're, and we're having them less now about, like, ludonarrative dissonance and all that stuff, right? right. The rarer thing, the thing that maybe needs a name, and I don't have a, a, a less stupid name for it than this, but, but like, ludonarrative assonance is really the thing we should be talking about. Like, I think it's maybe the, right. the exception rather than the rule when in something as big and as complicated and as potentially loose because people have to play it as a game – when all of the parts do seem to gel and you say, oh, yeah, I see what A had to do with B. I think that moment is a specific identifiable thing that happens in Bastion and Transistor, in in, in Zelda, in Mario and whatever, that, you know, we, we should point it out rather than just imagining we're, we're deducting, you know, one point off the score or whatever for every moment. Yeah, yeah. Don't feel it. Yeah, no, for sure. Like games, um, I... I've I've had this kind of lifelong uh, preoccupation with these like game over like how games handle uh, game over and I'm I love it when games uh, justify the game over state like in in context like do anything at all to justify it right like a uh, it, 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 it's it takes part of part of my sort of hypothesis about this stuff is it actually takes like it's hard to tie everything together but but it really doesn't take much. To, to just do kind of just to give a little bit to make it not feel like it's just a contrivance of, of genre that you like grafted onto your game to make it feel like it, it fits. So it, uh, the, you know, obviously like people have talked the, the, the dark souls games like to death, but all those games are like a pretty good example of like, Oh, well your character in those games, you are basically stuck in like these, prog- Oh, you can't die. Like every time you die, you're gonna, you're just gonna be brought back to this like nexus, and some guy's gonna point at you and laugh and say, "You're su- you're stuck here, and you're gonna keep dying," and it's great. It's like it it just justifies the whole, or it it, it ties in very strongly with the whole aesthetic of those games where and you do that, die. Uh, something that Demon Souls and Dark Souls one do that the later games dropped to some degree is that you come yeah, back no, and you're you're still you, but you're less. You're diminished in some yeah, way. Yeah, yeah character exactly uh like yeah all that stuff i thought was like great because it's like yeah it's a game that's going to kill you off all the time and 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 on the one hand it's bad and on the other hand it's it's just uh, referring to death in in those games but on the other hand it's like well it's just it's going to happen every 15 minutes get used to it like that's that's like what the aesthetic of of those games uh one of the first ideas that 
it drills into you. And it, if it were just, if they didn't go to a little bit of trouble with their like fiction and narrative to, to, to set that up, I think uh, the experience of dying constantly in those games would have, would have really fallen flat rather than like captivated so many people. There's, there's so many people, there's so many games that draw influence from those games now. And that I think like, don't get it <laughs> that, that, that like where their main, or I don't know. Now I'm. I shouldn't say this without uh, bringing up examples, and I don't have uh, examples that immediately spring to mind. But like, the part where those games are hard is like the last thing that's interesting about them. I think um, the, the the part where they're hard is like what <laughs> must have been like one of the last ideas that they're like, oh yeah, and also this should probably be hard. The part that, <laughs> the part that about them being hard is to right exactly is to make you slow down and appreciate the stuff that is interesting, like the really yeah. interlocking level design, like the fact yeah, that you can approach. Exactly battles in a bunch learn. of different ways like the fact that death itself has interesting elements to it right like if, if you could breeze through the game you would yeah. probably breeze right past all that interesting stuff so for somebody who's really fluent in games and has played them a lot and plays them well or at least quickly you're, you're like what is playing well that's kind of a bigger discussion right but for people who are used to breezing through games it forces you to slow down and, and it's like you're, you're reading ulysses or whatever you you like that sentence made no sense so i have to go back yeah, right. You have to take it slow, and it uh, and it, it affects the whole the whole feel of it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think um, to to tie back to what you were saying, um, yeah, I, I I've always ad- admired games that that kind of justify the little aspects of themselves rather than just even if it's a conventional uh, system. You know, you have three lives, you have unlimited continues, or whatever the convention is, or you have power ups. There's ways of couching those ideas uh in a in a specific fashion and that can make a game feel unique even though it may be pretty conventional for the most part um i think that's true of the games that we've made uh at supergiant at least thus far i think i think uh power is kind of more out there but you know bastion and transistor they you could take almost any individual aspect of those games and point to some other game that that did it uh, did something similar. It's just kind of through the synthesis of all those ideas in, in one place, uh, it kind of comes together, hopefully turns into something that, that feels distinctive and, and worth, uh, worth somebody's time. Um, so yeah, pu- putting it all together, that, that is, uh, that is part of my role, uh, specifically at, at Supergiant as, as the person doing, doing the writing among other things is just like, we have everyone on the team, trying to just chase after the things that they're personally passionate about put it, putting those things into our games and then but but at the same time there's this having to find the common ground between those ideas where where are there these kind of synergistic ways of tying these things together so that it doesn't feel like a total mess of like unrelated ideas right um, so that that's part of the role of the fiction is to tie it all together I find that when I talk to, to people about your games, especially people who I, I didn't, I don't realize have also played them. Uh, you know, like I, I start to, I, you know, we're talking about something else entirely and I say, Oh yeah. And there's this game bastion and they go, Oh yeah, bastion. Right. W- what we usually end up talking about is a specific feature or mechanic. Uh, like yeah. when, with bastion, a lot of people, we end up just having a 10 minute conversation about the shrine system, yeah, um, cool. in, including on this podcast with other developers actually. Uh, and partly that's just because it's a really clever system that gets around a really fundamental problem in, in games, uh, where, you know, you're, again, I listened to our interview from before, you know, you yeah. get around what you used to call the blind choice of right, just, right. do you want normal or hard or whatever? You don't just you don't pick know. how hard yeah. you want the yeah. game to be. You pick how you want it to be harder, which is way more right. interesting. 
But I don't know that that's even necessarily the reason that people remember the shrines. They remember them because they're this perfect moment of like, they let you choose how you want to play. They're a really great moment of, of risk versus reward. And they're completely incorporated in the fiction in a way that right. makes sense and is funny. The idea of these fickle gods that you can, you know, yeah, pray yeah. to or not pray to at any given moment. Uh, similarly, the functions in Transistor, right? Like, there's a lot to talk about in Transistor, but I, I really just end up talking about functions with people for a very yeah, long yeah, time. Yeah. Because they are like Dark Souls items, all tied to characters. But they also have discrete purposes, and they synergize in interesting ways. Like, like I think Supergiant is really good at those kinds of features where... You know, to a certain degree, if you're talking about functions, you're talking about transistor. Yeah, no, that's right. It's like if it's going to be a central system in the game, then then it then we just I I, I can't not uh, want to tie it to the story somehow. Like it it should be um, because it's you know yeah because it all has to fit together and the story is there uh, in service of the play experience. It's it's. Uh, you know, just like any other aspect of the game, it has a function itself. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think I think that's great. Um, we uh, during development, you know, we we pack in a lot of things like that, and and never really knowing which of them exactly are gonna resonate the most with people. Like with something like the function system of Transistor is a major focus of of development for sure. Um, but some of the little details, like like how the functions were tied to characters, were things that. Um, uh, came together later in development there are things that i i cared a lot about but that we didn't necessarily always have uh it's like something you i can't even really get started on until the system itself settles um sure. it's also a great example so. of something that a, a certain kind of player can breeze past and still get yeah. exactly what they want to get out of the game out of the game but it's there yeah, for those it, who want to plumb the depths yeah we're we're very we're very big on like there being um, option like l l having a lot of the narrative be optional. Um, I think it, I think it's better for everybody uh, that way because um, in like an example from Transistor, there are these little uh, terminals that you can access that are uh, like all there's there's basically like uh, there's a handful of them in the game that are required, but the vast majority of them are totally optional. Um, and I've I've received like notes from some people that are like, oh my god, some of the games. <laughs> most kind of emotional moments happen in these in these terminals i can't believe i could have just missed that um and to me that's great because i think it made the moment that much more emotional for that player knowing that they could have missed it um li like the optional nature of it is part of what makes it personal um so if everything is just like a a lavish cutscene on, on the critical path then then everybody is getting the same story and it's not personal to you so so Pyre, yeah, I think is uh, like is us going kind of even more all in on that as an idea of like there's so much, so much of the work that I've done personally on the game. Like by definition, the vast majority of players will just never see unless they like play the game over and over and over, which I know that they won't. <laughs> um, and but but I think it's awesome because it means that. You know, if most people play the game between zero and one times, um, they they will they will have like a more personal, they will have like a relatively unique uh, experience with their with their time with the game, and it'll feel like oh, the, that's that's cool that the game adapted to me, um, and and you know hopefully that lends itself to a more memorable experience. But that's one of those things. You know, here we sit 
uh, just days away from the launch. Like we, I, I can, I can have all my wishful thinking in the world about that. And I, I, I just honestly don't know how it will uh, be received. That's like we're we're very interested to see which aspects of the game resonate with people, uh, if any. Uh, they're the things that we're very excited about, but it, there's kind of no telling what happens once you put it out there. Yeah, I mean, people. for for whatever it's worth, I, I'm a huge fan of that approach, and I think there's a, a new awareness of that approach. The approach where you probably won't see all of the hashtag content because it's not all split yeah. neatly into a Paragon Renegade path. It's about being there to be discovered. Like, to me, the classic example is you don't know Jack, the trivia game, yeah. where there's all these different reactions to wrong answers and things like that that you'll probably never never see slash hear. But when you do get something kind of weird, it feels like it's for you. Or or, or maybe, you know, a more recent example is, is Breath of the Wild. I think people kind of misread that game to a certain degree because they they say like, oh man, it gets a little repetitive when you try and get all 120 shrines, but there aren't 120 shrines for crazy people who want to get all of them, or or not just for those people. There are 120 shrines so that you can set off in whatever direction you feel like and find a bunch of stuff that's interesting. Yeah. So like, to me, that's something that's pretty much unique to games, right? Like you can't hide stuff quite as well in a movie or a book, you can hide stuff. You can put little ciphers in the background. You can put little illusions that are easy to miss and so on. But the idea of there actually being an entire chunk of narrative that is just there if you literally seek it out, like that's to me something really exciting about the medium. So I'm, I'm couldn't be more excited to see what you guys are doing with it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I, I certainly agree. Like, yeah, the interactive nature is, is what unlocks the like limitless, just the insane potential that, that, um, that games have that's like almost i don't it, it's considering you can put you, you can put limitless depth in in any in in a book or whatever and the, considering that uh, games stack on top of that the kind of uh, potentially like inherent it, just putting the control in the in the in the player's hands is yeah kind of endlessly fascinating obviously for for anyone who who plays games or works in 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 games there's just it's something that we, uh, even just the lack of, like, our, we get so uncomfortable around it ourselves while knowing it's, like, the the essential thing that makes a game a game that that, 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 that the player interacts with it. Cause, and it, these systems, like the Shrine system, are born from that of, like, not us just not knowing what the player can do, what the player's capable of, what the, what the player's comfort level with the game is, and just having to... Um, account for that as part of the hopefully still like empathize with the player despite not knowing what their skill level is or how old they are or you know whether they can even understand what's going on in the game and still trying to communicate with that person yeah I, I actually see games are like a it's really interesting to think of games as a form of uh, communication and and I think for me personally it's like a as someone who is quite a uh, like a private person I would say I <laughs> just being able to reach people through these stories that we tell is something that's been very, very felt very rewarding for me. Um, it's kind of everything that aspect is everything I've ever hoped for of like, I've been able to connect with strangers through the work I've done on these games in a way that I can't really imagine uh, doing any other way. And I still don't, I still don't know them. They're still strangers to me, but when I read some of their responses and stuff, I feel like I, I've actually reached uh, somebody and, and it, and it feels good. I feel, I feel like, you know, for that moment, I feel like my, my life has some purpose. Um, and that, and that the time I spent uh, was, was worth it. So that, that, uh, 
chasing after that with our games uh, feels it feels awesome. I'm really I feel great that we've had some success thus far in actually sort of a, a, like delivering on that because uh, it's one thing to try for it; it's another thing to actually do it. And uh, I I'm really really hopeful that that a pirate can connect with with people in some of those ways as well. And just yeah, by virtue of having more characters, like a, a, a an an obvious thought that occurred to us is like, Hey, if we have more characters, then we have like more characters that, that players can potentially connect with. Right. You may not connect with the kid or with Rux or something like that in Bastion, but you may, if there's more characters there, there's someone that maybe in this story that, yeah, like I said, you, you just sort of, that you really take a shine to that particular character and, their their view of the world happens to match your your view of the, or just a, kind of align with your view of the world or something like that. And I I love when you know entertainment or or any media can can just sort of it, you you feel less alone when you encounter works of uh, media that that can kind of reflect your own your own take on things um, or just uh, or or broaden your horizons as well, right? They give you a new perspective. Uh, all all those things are great. Um, so yeah. yeah. And I've, like you said, sometimes that's in very nonverbal, indirect ways. And sometimes it's, I mean, like I've, I've had conversations about, in, I mean, <laughs> minor thematic spoilers in the case of Bastion, you know, I've had that game kick off conversations about nationalism and racial animosity. Yeah. And in the case of Transistor, I've had to talk about, you know, being skeptical of techno futurism and all, all that kind yep. of stuff. So yeah. And, and, and also, you know, like the, the feeling more together and occasionally feeling alienated, man, I've had a lot of conversations about the ending of Transistor <laughs> um, yeah. and how some people really felt like it was, you know, cathartic and all that. And how some people felt like it was almost a, a betrayal or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there were definitely some strong, uh, yeah, some strong reactions uh, uh, to that one. And that, that was, yeah. And, and we, we like, we, we, I, I and I think all of us uh, are, are, are glad that our games have been able to kind of provoke uh, a level of uh, a level of discussion beyond just the like, yeah, is it a fun video game type of thing? Like, like, like that's great, too. It's great that people have enjoyed our games and that but that they offer something uh, to players uh, who are looking for something more in those regards, because, yeah, so, some of some of us, it's like we I think as 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 some players grow older or more kind of sophisticated in their tastes or whatever, or as you experience games that you know you 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 play your first uh, RPG or something like that, and it's an eye-opening experience. You never even knew a game could have a story. You never even <laughs> knew you could like care about a character in a video game or feel emotional at a certain moment in the story. Um, those are like eye-opening experiences, and I think the more the more game the more different types of games one plays you know just uh, just as with any media like the more of it you you kind of explore and, and discover the more it broadens your own your own tastes and interests um and and uh we we want our games to be be intriguing to 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 players on a variety of levels um including those ones where where, where players can just sort of reflect on how yeah, on what on on the on the thematic substance of those games, on what what the what the worlds uh, are are what the worlds may be saying or not saying, what what values they may express. Uh, I I'm very careful, I think, to avoid uh, just straight up allegorical storytelling. I don't like. Uh, I find allegory again. I've used this word uh, 
uh, tiresome several times. But I, when something is just kind of a naked allegory, I find it not not uh, particularly interesting. I often feel a little bit like, uh, oh, you just like tricked me. Like, oh, this is just about like, you know, whatever. Th- this is just about like the war in Iraq or something like that. It's like, uh, why didn't you just say, you just make it about the war in Iraq if that's what it's going to be about. Like, um, if it's if it's as simple as that, you know what I mean. Um, it, but but I think there are ways of of uh, make of exploring thematic territory in, in in broader terms where you could see those kind of connections without without them being just on the nose um so yeah i i I, i've had people write and ask like oh is is bastion about a breakup or like is bastion about the war in iraq and stuff like that and it's like well i i think it's awesome that people see that stuff in the game but if but i think if it were just like about those things like in in as 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 deliberately as as that kind of like uh framing suggests um they would the game would not have been as interesting if it was just as 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 simple as that um not that those are simple subjects uh, no not at all they're, but they're, if if your intent was as simple as that you mean yeah and and i think i think for us it's just we work on it like you know pyres like three years took took three years to make i think we just you're even hearing this from talking to me i'm not like my mind goes to a lot of different places uh <laughs> so so i i think i find a way to pull it back and sort of tie it together but my my foremost concern is is like the characters and the world and the and the and the story but it has to be but but in order to make those things uh work it it there has to be something behind it i have to believe in what the characters believe um and and so on or or not you you know what i mean i have to yeah I have completely to plausibly i have to plausibly understand why a character would would act in a certain way and so on so that's part of my um yeah so i i feel um the characters in pyre are very very dear to me at this point so part of the part of the imminent launch that's so kind of nerve-wracking is like you know putting putting my kids out on stage it's like what, what's everybody <laughs> gonna say oh god you know they're gonna make fun of their hair or something like that but uh, that that's more Gen Z or art director's problem if they, if if anyone's hair gets made fun of, but you know what I mean. People it's, have liked kinda, uh, people have liked her hairstyle work a lot so yes, far. So no, yeah. her her hairstyle work is uh, is is most excellent. Yeah, I'm I'm in any case, I'm really excited for uh, yeah for players to to meet this for folks to meet this cast. It's, oh man, it's kinda... I couldn't be more. I mean, because that's I couldn't be more excited. First of all, but that's that's your job, right? Your job is to make the most resonant and interesting and, and, and cohesive thing you can. And then, you know, the job of the audience is to engage with it, right. And on whatever level they want to engage with it, but, but in good faith, you know, not read it like, uh, as I bring this quote up a lot lately, but, but film crit Hulk said, you know, a lot of times we read stuff that isn't porn as though it's porn, as though it's just there to gratify us. And we don't have any that's responsibility to try to engage yeah. with it. So the, the yeah. audience is, and if, and if an audience wants to do that, that's cool. But then if you're going to take that next step and in any way, try to be a critic, then your goal is your your responsibility, I should say, is a bit different. It's to say, here's a reading, and here's why that reading makes sense. If somebody yeah. wants to just be an audience member and like what they like and not like what they don't like, that's there's obviously nothing wrong with that. But it's we're at this interesting moment where everybody is expected to sort of have a public opinion about things. So it's you know you do end up with kind of responsibilities as an audience if you're going to try to engage in some kind of critical you know dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, and the and creators have a responsibility uh, likewise. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I think I think you know work works 
do not exist in a in a vacuum. They're the they're the products of the people working on them, and they exist in a in a place and time. And it's super valid for people to kind of experience those works and think about how the the world in which they were created shaped uh, what's in them, um, because they couldn't have been created any other way. They they yeah, or else have been they would have cre- been. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so so yeah, that and that's I, I think that kind of conversation is is yeah obviously like endlessly uh, fascinating uh, for people to have and to think about you know artistic intentions or lack thereof and all the all those kind of things are yeah are are cool to think about when when you find something where you feel like um it was made with with some sort of a little bit more purposefully and not not just purely you know for frivolous kind of bottom line types of reasons um you know there, there aren't like big whatever there isn't like a ton of discourse on like the typical like match three whatever like mobile puzzle game or something like that um but unless you're getting really wonky design stuff you know but yeah totally yeah no and there are some games and and even that statement isn't true right there's yeah it's again like one of the great things about games is you could take you could take like a really innocuous genre or format and and do something really interesting and subversive and weird with it um and 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 i feel like it happens like pretty regularly um these days i mean there's so much it, as you said it's a it's like an amazing year for games it's 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 terrifying to be releasing a game into this year you know uh, but whatever may may uh may everyone who released who still has a game uh, to come this year uh, help contribute to how how clearly it seems like it's going to be a year that's remembered uh, for a while as far as like the variety and, and sort of depth and, and, and uh, intrigue of some of the stuff that's been put out, all of which I have to catch up on. I just read about it. I have not, I've gone like, I've never gone this long. I think like literally since I was like five years old Mm. uh, playing this few games as I have in recent months. There are some games that I come back to, that I, like I play Hearthstone like obsessively as like this kind of like game where I could just lose myself in that little world. Uh, but um, but other all this stuff you mentioned, Breath of the Wild, Near Automata, those games are like at the top of and uh, Persona Five. I actually just started on uh, the. Those are all games that I have been waiting in the wings for me until I until I could be done uh, working on this one. It's insane. I mean, it's it's literally not possible for every year to be like this, where all these, these no, no. sprawling, long in the works, I would say masterpieces in several cases, all come out more or less at the same time. Because there's there's everything you just mentioned, plus there's Neo and Horizon, the uh, you know the 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 lesser masterpieces of 2017. It's and those crazy. Are just still the and those are just still the big like AAA exactly types of games, and then among you know among independent games, it's it's just yeah, again like the the work that people are doing. It's so it's so varied um and the 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 breadth of what the breadth of experience that games offer is so uh like it's it, it's so both inspiring and kind of unbel- like I, i'm always amazed when when it's like when people occasionally you'll see folks say like oh they're they're there's nothing to play i'm bored like i'm bored i haven't played any i haven't seen anything interesting come out it's like man you're just not looking in the right places. That stuff is out there. There's like an unlimited amount of stuff like that. <laughs> you just, but sure, if you only like look at the big new releases and like big shooters or something like that, you might not find the fascinating game that would really inspire you. But there's a chance that that game, that a game like that was released like 
in the last six weeks or something. Yeah, I can't remember with, the, with the numbers off the top of my head, but there was that thing where, like, you know, some very large percentage of the games on Steam were released within the last two years or something like yeah. that, right? Like, it's it's absurd. And a lot of that stuff is cash-ins and glutton, whatever, but there's also a lot of gold in them, Narhills. And you're, you're yeah. totally right that... uh. The indie, the, I'm way behind on my indie releases uh, because of these big, crazy, sprawling masterpieces. You know, I'm really excited to play Pyre. I've been enjoying Antihero a lot, uh, but Dead Cells I haven't touched. There's, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, the End is Nigh is out. Ed McMillan's. Yeah, new. yeah, yeah. Haven't yeah. touched that yet. Oh man, it's gonna be. Uh, it's. I think it's. It's gonna continue to be a banner year, uh, which is good because because the world needs it right now. A lot of good, yep. good stuff. And I, I will say, I mean, I. This is like a. I'm glad we talked about, you know, critique and all that stuff a little bit, because for anybody who doesn't know, you know, Greg, you, <laughs> depending on whether I'm talking to the listener or you right now, uh, you, you've reviewed games for a while, uh, yeah. for quite a while, actually. So, you know, I think thinking about both sides of that equation and, and what we want out of people who make stuff and what we want out of people who talk about stuff is, is important to think about now and then. And this is a great year for it, because there are so many things to talk about. There's so much grist for the mill. And I just need to say, from my point of view, if Pyre is half as good as Bastion or Transistor, then it's going to deserve a place in the pantheon of, of amazing stuff that's come out this year. So, Thank you. Yeah. Cool. You, you, you shall soon find out. <laughs> imminently. Imminently. Yep. Great. Um, well, I, I, you've been super generous with your time. Um, thank you very, very much. Yeah, my pleasure. Is a fun conversation, yeah. Uh, okay, well, Greg Savin, thank you once again, and uh, best of luck with release. I, I, I wish you all the best in the world, and I truly cannot wait to play the game. Thank you, yeah, right on. Y- y- yeah, you'll have to uh, let me know what you think. So. Oh, you, you bet yeah. I will, in uh, personally and in blog form, and, and, and all of that stuff. Yeah, right on. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, take care. That's the show. You can get Pyre on Steam and for PlayStation 4. You can get Transistor in those same places and also in the Apple App Store. And you can get Bastion in all of those same places, plus the Xbox Live Marketplace, both for Xbox 360 and Xbox One. uh, And uh, I think it's for Apple TV as well, uh, not to mention PlayStation Vita. You can get this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or as a result of non-lethal ritualistic blood sport. Or at etao.wordpress.com. There's a special place awaiting for the evil-loving man And the devil with his brimstone is the sole custodian None but righteous living people can escape this fire tomb When you head for Purgatory Center, you will meet your doom Purgatory, yes you're gonna go there sinner Better change your evil ways I mean to say Purgatory, yes you're gonna go there sinner If you don't repent and change your ways today